Lord God, scripture says that you are a consuming fire. And the Gospel of John says that Jesus is from the bosom of the Father. And so, Lord Jesus, you must be the burning heart of God. And so, we pray that we would walk with you this morning and that you would reveal your glory and that we would see it and not be the same. In Jesus' name, we pray, Lord God, that you would help us to preach. Amen. Well, hopefully, as you know, we've been preaching through the Gospel of John, and today's sermon is actually the end of a sermon I began like two or three weeks ago that I actually thought I was going to finish, and I'm just kind of an an idiot that way. But anyway, um, last week, we preached on John John 8 and a particular verse, this verse, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. But last Sunday night, I didn't feel very free. I just preached uh, three services for the first time in a long time. Had a whole bunch of conversations with a whole bunch of people. Talked with some uh, great unit candidates. Thought about all of the things and opportunities and issues that we're facing in the next year. And, and, and I think as I uh, tried to, to go to sleep, I was just afraid that, well, everything might work. Might just work. And then I was kind of afraid that everything, well, might just fail. Because I might just fail. When I get like that, I usually get up and take a super hot bath, and so I did. Try to spin out all the scenarios as I soak naked in darkness and heat at three in the morning. I think to myself, well, this could happen, and then that would happen, and then, and then that would probably happen, and well, and then well, and then I guess we'd, we'd lose the house, and then, and then we'd move in with relatives, and, and then they'd get sick of us, and, and then we'd be uh, under a bridge, and, and, then, and then winter w- w- would come. And, and now I need to tell you, we're, we're a long, long, long way from that, but some of you have not been a long way from that, or maybe you're even in that. Well, at those times, I, I usually pray, and I tell myself, I tell myself, God is my provider. God's my provider. And then I think, God, you provided St. Peter with martyrdom. You provided St. Paul with floggings and imprisonment and hunger and thirst. You provided Jesus with a cross, and he suggested that we pick one up. And then I think to myself, lying there in the heat in the dark at three in the morning, I could die. I really could die. And you see, uh, please understand, it's not just physical death. Actually, that's the easiest part. It's the thought of losing being stripped of all honor and respect, being publicly slandered, left alone wondering, where on earth did I go wrong? Because you see, I so earnestly want to be right. And and then I see my need to be right is so very wrong. It's arrogance and it's pride. And then I feel forsaken, not only by people, but by myself and even by God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I realize I could die and not just my body, but I'm talking about my soul. 
my nefesh in Hebrew, my psyche, my life, my ego. And, and then I think to myself, okay, Peter, you're just being selfish. Stop just thinking of yourself. And so I pray for people that I love. I, and I get even more stressed out. And then I see that I'm stressed out. My stress is that I can't save them for I don't have faith that God will save them. And the root of all this problem is, is my uh, fear. It's, it's lack of faith. But I just can't manufacture faith because I want to. Faith itself is life. And so I realize I am dying. I could die. I could die. I really could die. I could die. And then all at once, I think a thought. Not just in my head, but deep down in my soul. Oh gosh, I could die. I can do that. I can die. <laughs> I can die. And then I get out of the bathtub, cool off, towel down, go to bed, and fall asleep. <laughs> I die. And then live. Now, I'm only telling you my story because hopefully it will remind you of your story. And hopefully it will remind you of Jesus' story. I die and then live. Well, last week, we preached that a ghost is a person trapped in a lie. And this is the lie. I am my own judge. I am my own savior. I am my own creator. You see, if you think that you are your own creator, you will create yourself. But that self will be a lie, an apparition, a ghost. And if you think that you are your own savior, well, then everything depends on you, right? That lie. And you, that lie, if you're the savior, cannot die, cannot die. But what happens if you do die? Because the odds are that you will die. Well, if you do die, perhaps you'll lie about the lie and be stuck in a lie. You see, ghosts can't die. They won't admit they're dead. To die is to come to an end. Actually, it's to come to the end. And by the way, that's why suicide won't work. Suicide is a way to avoid the end, hide the self from the end. To try and kill yourself with yourself is just more self. Ghost. A ghost, like the one I told you about last week, hiding from God's judgment, trapped in her own bad judgment. Where's my baby? Where's my baby? I have to save my baby. Listen, you, you can only die by surrendering your judgment to God's judgment. It's the only way to die. And you see, a ghost can't die. And they won't admit that they're dead. This is one of my favorite movies of all time, okay? Now, I'm not saying that it's entirely biblically accurate. Scripture is clear that we must not consult with goats, ghosts or goats. We can talk to goats, but especially not ghosts. So it's not entirely biblically accurate, and yet I, I do think that this, is, this movie may be more biblical accurate than almost any movie you see. It's M. Night Shyamalan's, or however you say that, The Sixth Sense. I want to tell you my secret now. 
in your dreams? While you're awake? Dead people like in graves and coffins? Walking around like regular people. They don't see each other. They only see what they want to see. They don't know they're dead. How often do you see them? They don't see each other. They only see what they want to see. They avoid the light of truth. They don't know they're dead. Awesome lines. The little boy talking is named Cole. The man listening is Dr. Uh, Malcolm. His name is Malcolm. He's a child psychologist. His job is to judge, save, and create children. Well, anyway, this is our fourth sermon on John chapter eight, and I told you that it was about ghosts. It's a ghost story or an anti-ghost story. It's a ghost story and a, and a ghost buster story. In the last two weeks, then, we talked about ghosts. I even showed you a video of a flying spooky dark shadow in this uh, very room and uh, talked about how we suspected it was, a name, it was a demon named Secrets and I told you how we cast out Secrets in Jesus' name and encountered a ghost named Elise. That's weird. It's weird. I know, I know. We also talked about Goodwill and bad will, remember? Goodwill is a will that seeks to glorify God and others. It seeks the glory of God and others. A bad will is a will that seeks its own glory and thus uses others. A bad will is a will that's stuck on itself. A bad will is bad judgment. A will that's stuck on itself is a ghost. A good will is God's judgment. In a word, Jesus. You know what the name Jesus means? God is salvation. If you're a Christian, goodwill has been created in you. You cannot create goodwill with a bad will, so you must be begotten from above. Like an eternal seed implanted in a ghost, the seed is eternal and the ghost must die. We must give up the ghost in order to love in freedom. The image of God, life. Well, John 8, 1 through 11, Jesus creates goodwill in a woman that's been caught in the act of adultery. She's thrown at the feet of Jesus, stripped of all of her vain glory, her nephesh, her psyche, her soul, and now they're picking up stones to strip her of her body. Jesus looks down at her and says, neither do I condemn you. No sinner's prayer, no agreements, no, just neither do I condemn you. From the now, go and sin no more. Jesus' lack of condemnation is condemnation upon the Pharisees' condemnation. Jesus is Lack of judgment is judgment 
upon the Pharisees' judgment. And so they drop their stones and leave the light. They drop their stones. But in case you think that grace is cheap, allow me to jump ahead and read the last verse of John 8, verse 59. So they picked up stones to throw at him, Jesus. God's judgment is grace, but grace is not cheap. Hopefully you know the story. Everybody must get stoned. We all must die. But Jesus chose to die in our place. And that is the revelation of love, the revelation of the heart of God, sacrificial love. And so we should ask this question, why don't we love like that? Why don't we forgive like Jesus forgave? Why don't we go home and uh, give our entire life savings to starving people over in Pakistan right now? Why don't we love like Jesus loved? Why don't we sacrifice? Well, isn't it because we're afraid to die? Isn't it because we're afraid to give up the ghost? Aren't we afraid that in giving away glory to God and others, we might lose some glory for ourselves? And let's be perfectly honest. If, if you love like Jesus in a world of hunger and scarcity, a fallen world like ours, a world of sin, terrorism, and war, if you love like Jesus, you'll get yourself crucified. And he did. And on the cross, he surrendered his spirit to God and gave up the ghost. Now, hopefully you're thinking to yourself, hey, hey, wait a minute, preacher. Did Jesus have a ghost? I mean, a ghost is an illusion. A ghost is, a, is, a, is a, uh, the product of a lie and an apparition. Um, did Jesus have a ghost? 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. You know, on the cross, Jesus entered my hell and bore my sin, my lies, my ghost, my prison. He bore it to destruction. And not just mine, 1 John chapter 2, the sins of the entire world. So, get this, I think the ghost of the last Adam is the fallen children of the first Adam. The ghost of Jesus is us. The old us. The sinful us. The sinful us is a lie about him, the perfect man, firstborn of all creation, a lie about him. And yet, this is the glory of God, that he chooses, he chooses to bear my sin and bear it to destruction. This is the glory of God, the judgment of God, sacrificial love, grace. You know, whenever we love, in spite of the fact that it hurts, 
Whenever it hurts to love, and yet we do love, we sacrifice our bad will to God's good will growing within us. We learn grace. Well, in John 8, Jesus exhibits grace, and the, and the Pharisees hate that judgment. They hate the light and they leave, and yet some return and believe. It's like an eternal seed has been implanted in, in a ghost, a lot like us, like we were talking about last week. So, so this is a good question. How do we recognize the seed in us and the ghost in which it's trapped so we can give it up? Verse 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, well, we are the offspring of Abraham. Literally, we are the sperma, the seed of Abraham. And that's interesting because scripture tells us that Jesus is the seed of Abraham. They answered him, we are the seed of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring, literally. I know that you are seed of Abraham. And yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I guess the seed has no place to go or, or grow because they're like, they're like full of themselves. And then he says, I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, not just sperm, but children, you would be doing what Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. What did Abraham do? That's, that's probably a good question. In a minute, Jesus is gonna say, Abraham saw my day and, and he leapt for joy. I mean, Jesus is talking like he was there. What did Abraham do in front of Jesus? This is not what Abraham did, said Jesus. You are doing what your father did. They said to him, we're not born of pornea, sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I come from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. I guess it would like kill him. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character or nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. These are the Jews who had believed. These are, Jesus even said it, the seed of Abraham, and yet children of the devil, who is the father of lies. So these are the lies, ghosts, the work 
of the devil. First John 3, Jesus appeared to destroy the works of the devil. I think these most, maybe the most terrifying verses in all of scripture, Jesus says, you are of your father, the devil. And please notice, Jesus did not say this to the adulterous woman. Or to prostitutes, or tax collectors, or thieves, or Roman centurions. He doesn't say it to pagans, punk rockers. He's not saying it to Rosemary's baby, okay? Spawn of Satan. He says it to religious Jews. Sons of the kingdom. Professor Dale Bruner uh, writes this. It is important to underline the fact that all of Jesus' warnings about hell occur in messages to people who believe themselves heirs of the kingdom. Jesus did not preach hell to pagans. He preached it to those who thought themselves believers. Hell is not a doctrine used to frighten unbelievers. It is a doctrine used to warn those who think themselves already believers. There's a rumor about me. <laughs> it's been going around for some time, and I heard it again next week. And I want to squash it, okay? I just want to squash it. This is the rumor. Peter doesn't believe in hell. I want to find those people. I want to grab those people. I want to shake those people in Christian love. And I want to say to them, look into my eyes, read my lips. I'm not saying there is no hell. I'm saying you might go there. <laughs> and I might go there. I might go there. Unless we repent of our malicious judgments and trust God's judgment, we will go to hell. Hades, the outer darkness, and ultimately the consuming fire. If we reject God's judgment of grace, the will of the Father, Christ Jesus our Lord, we walk away from the light and we imprison ourselves in outer darkness, a ghost. Matthew 7, 21, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter my kingdom, but he who does the will of my Father. Many, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? I mean, that's incredible. Cast out demons in, in your name. Did we not do many mighty works in your name? And then I'll say to them, but I never knew you. I guess they were like an apparition, an act, an appearance, a ghost. And then he says, depart. Oh, dang. Where do they go? Matthew 8, 11, I tell you, many will come from east and west and sit at table with Abraham in the kingdom of heaven while the sons of the kingdom, the sons of the kingdom, the sons of the kingdom, like the older brother, like Jonah, diving out of the boat, they will be cast, he says, into outer darkness where men weep and gnash their teeth. The sons of the kingdom. Perhaps they throw themselves out because they don't want to eat dinner with Abraham. For what did Abraham do? Remember our question? Even more importantly, what did Abraham do in front of Jesus? 
Now, now we preached on all of this last year, so you can go back and, and listen to all this, but in Genesis 12, Abraham believes a promise, remember? That through his seed, all the nations, all the peoples of the earth would be blessed. In Genesis 15, Abraham watches God cut the eternal covenant. In Genesis 18, check this out, three men come to Abraham's camp. One of them is fully God and fully man. Who could that be? I think we know, I think it's Jesus. He reminds Abraham of the promised seed and ultimately he is the promised seed, the seed through whom all the nations of the world will be blessed. Then two angels, the two angels who had arrived with Jesus, they traveled down to Sodom to destroy it. Now Sodom is one of the nations of the earth to be blessed. And so for the next 11 verses, Abraham stands before the God-man, who I think must be Jesus. I don't know of any other God-men. He stands before the God-man and he argues with him for the salvation of Sodom. And God does not get angry. God makes Abraham the father of faith. Abraham wants evil destroyed, but not the righteous of Sodom. And yet there weren't even 10 righteous men in Sodom. That's where he stops his argument. And so God destroys Sodom with fire. Yet Ezekiel tells us that Sodom one day will be restored, along with Samaria. Now that's the Samaritans. Along with Jerusalem. Now that's the Pharisees. They will all be destroyed and restored. They will be restored because God finds one righteous man in their midst. He has numbered himself with the transgressors. That's Isaiah 53. He has numbered himself with Sodomites, Samaritans, and Jews, and he cries from the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. He is the judgment of God. He is the promised seed of Abraham. He is the sacrificial lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And that reminds me of one other thing that Abraham did. He prepared to sacrifice his only begotten son. He prepared to sacrifice his soul to the glory of God. Except that the angel stopped his hand at the last moment and God supplied a substitute, his only begotten son, his heart, Jesus. Abraham saw the judgment of God, and Abraham loved the judgment of God, and Abraham rejoiced at the judgment of God, Jesus Christ and him crucified for the sins of the world. And so Jesus said to the Pharisees, you are not doing what Abraham did. You are doing what your father did, the devil. The the devil caused Eve and Adam to doubt the judgment of God. And when they did, it killed them. The day you eat of it, you will surely die. He was a murderer from the beginning. So I don't think that the devil is simply a fallen angel, but I'm sure of this, he cannot create a real child. Only a lie. 
The devil is the father of lies. Devil means slanderer or gossip or accuser, false accuser, if in fact the Lamb of God has taken away the sins of the world, accuser. You see, that's just what the Pharisees have been doing and were doing. You see, if your will is to glorify yourself, you will end up doing it by taking glory from others. And the last thing you will do is sacrifice yourself for those that you've judged last and least and lost. It appears that a lack of compassion for the lost is the surest sign that you are lost. A child of hell, the very spawn of Satan, the lost, the apollos, the one having been destroyed. Well, having said that, isn't it really good news that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost? The apollos, the one having been destroyed? You see, there is a hell. I think there may be a few of them. It's just that hell, as it's normally described, that hell cannot be the end. Why? Because Jesus is the end. Scripture says it over and over again. Jesus is the end. Jesus is the end. Jesus is the end. To finally die is to come to the end. Who is Jesus? The consuming fire, the light, the truth, the resurrection, the life, grace. He is God's judgment, final judgment, ultimate judgment upon my bad judgment, the ghost. Verse 48, the Jews answered him, are you not right in saying, are we not right in saying that you, you are a Samaritan? He was numbered with the transgressors. So listen closely to his answer. Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And Jesus answered, well, I don't have a demon. But I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Never see death. But, but in the next, in chapter 11, he's going to say, he's going to tell them that they're going to they're die. I think never see death is a poor translation. Literally translated, Jesus says this. You can look this up in an interlinear. It's, it's translated this, this way. You will not see death into the age. And you see, I think these Jews understood what he meant. You will not descend into Hades, into Sheol in Hebrew, into the land of the dead. Psalm 89, 48. What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? Well, I think Jesus is saying, how about me? Now remember, John, who's writing this gospel, is also John who received the revelation. Listen to Revelation chapter 20, verse 13. Death and Hades, remember Hades is often translated hell in, in uh, the, the King James. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. 
This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The earth has been flooded and filled with glory, with light, with holy fire. Verse four, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. It's the death of death. And you see, John saw two deaths. There's a first death and a second death. The first death must be the death of your body. The second death must be like the death of of your soul, your nephesh in Hebrew, your psyche in Greek, your soul, your life, your mind, your heart, your ego, yourself. Jesus said, if you lose yourself, for my sake and the gospel. If you lose your life for my sake and the gospel, you will find it. So to come to Christ and believe is to lose your life, which is actually a death, the death of death. Jesus already told us, John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, life of the ages. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Has passed from death. Revelation 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is he who shares in the first resurrection. Remember John said you must be born again? Think that must be like the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. Over such, the lake of fire and theon, fire and divinity, has no power. I mean, you you don't need to fear the fire if you've already been baptized in fire. You don't need to fear the judgment of God if you've already surrendered to the judgment of God. I'm saying you can get your dying over with right now, today right here. What a deal. See, a Christian must be a person who dies the second death before they die the first death. Or at least sees that Jesus dies it for them. So physical death is no longer a trap. It's a door. For we die with Jesus. And we rise with Jesus. But if you don't give up the ghost before your body dies, I I think maybe you're trapped in death after the body is gone like a ghost in hell, in Hades. Hades is not endless. It will be cast into the lake of fire, the burning hot, all-consuming love that is God. What exactly that means for anyone left in Hades at that time, I'm, I'm not exactly sure. But Hades will come to an end. But this is the question. Why would you want to go to Hades at all? Why be tormented with fear, shame, and demons at all? Why be the spawn of Satan at all? Why be a ghost at all? I I mean, you can die to death right now. You. You, that self-centered, pain-in-the-ass, reason for all your heartaches, you, you can die. You, 
sweating in the bathtub at three in the morning, wondering how you're going to pull it off for everyone. You, you, you can die. You, terrified you'll fail and wondering what everybody will think. That you, you, already having failed, now hiding your shame and putting on an act. That you, you, driven and tormented to make yourself good in the very image of God. You, trying to love but being trapped in envy and hate. That you, you can die to death. Now. In Jesus' words, why die in your sin? An apparition, an act. Why, why die in your sin and an act? Well, maybe you like your act. I mean, you're pretty good at your act. Maybe you like your act and, and haven't really seen the truth. You know, the Pharisees were a pretty good act. Better than most of us. Quote Professor J.C. McCann, listen to this. Their intent was to interpret the law so that it could be obeyed by ordinary persons. Their intent was to help you pull it off. That is, instead of letting it kill you or reveal that you were already dead, they made the law practical so ordinary persons could do it. Judge themselves, save themselves create themselves. That is, they wrote religious self-help books called the Mishnah, Halakha. And they were the pastors, the counselors, the preachers, the child psychologists of their day. In the sixth sense, Dr. Uh, Malcolm, Malcolm tries to save Cole. And if you saw the movie, you know that what really happens is that Cole saves Malcolm. Malcolm's marriage is in shambles. Uh, he can't seem to save it. He's utterly confused by it. He can't save his marriage. He can't seem to save himself. Well, one day, Cole suggests to Malcolm they talk to his wife while she's sleeping. When he does, he sees what he did not want to see. The truth. Why, Malcolm? What? What is it? What? Why did you leave me? Leave you. the lack of communication in his marriage, right? I mean, what explains the lack of communication in your marriage? I mean, oh, the truth is, he's dead. Well, the truth hurts. Yet when he sees the truth, and if you, if you watch the movie, you know this happens next. He faces his death, and he dies his death, and then all of a sudden, he's free. 
free to go and sin no more. The day you eat of it, you will surely die. Maybe we're dead. But when we go back to the ancient tree, when we go back to the cross, we face our death. And we see that Jesus dies our death. He bears our sin and dies our death. He delivers our ghost to destruction and we're free. So you can die. You can die. For Jesus is the death of death. The Jews said to him, well, now we know that you do have a demon. Abraham died. He died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he'll he'll never taste death, not taste death into the age. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing like an apparition. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God, but you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say to you that I do not know him, I'd be a liar like you, but I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced. He left for joy that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was... I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. It wasn't his day to die. He was preparing himself for his day to die, to die for the sins of the whole world. Not just one adulterous woman, but all. His bride. His bride who trusted her own judgment and took the fruit to save herself and create herself. You see, when we go to the cross, we surrender that ghost. God reveals his love and sets us free. We die and we rise with Christ. First fruit of the new creation. And every time you confess your sins to a brother or sister, in Jesus' name, you know what you do? You die a little. I mean, you felt it, haven't you, when you have to confess to somebody where you confess your sin, you die a little bit. And then what happens? You live. You're free. Every time we confess our sins in prayer, every time we lie naked before him at three in the morning confessing our secret anxieties and fears, what do we do? We expose the ghost. We die. And then we live. Every time we come to the communion table in faith, we come to judgment, give up the ghost and begin to live in freedom. For the last two weeks, I told you about Elise, the ghost that Susan and I encountered, trapped, buried under secrets in this old building, and how I told her to go to Jesus, and how Susan stood here, Clarice DeBell, heard Jesus say, welcome home, Elise. Wild. Welcome home. I think Jesus says that a lot. One night six years ago in worship, a friend had a vision. This is it. He said, Peter, the front of the sanctuary turned like into a pit of fire. And then I watched as this giant hand came and and pushed you toward the fire. 
And then I watched uh, the same hand or hands uh, circle around the congregation and pull them toward the fire. He, he, he writes, each person would walk to the edge of the fire, take some bread, dip it in the wine, eat it, and then kneel. And an angel would cut off their head. Their body would fall into the fire, and the same hands would catch them in the midst of the fire. Jesus would then breathe on the broken body, make them whole again, look straight into their eyes and say, Welcome home. At that moment, each person would realize that their pain, their heartache, their tears were all gone, for Jesus was wearing them, wearing them all. They were free. And so say it with me, out loud, okay? You just say this after me. In the name of Jesus, I can die. For on the night that he was delivered up, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat and do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this, is, this cup is the, the new covenant, also the eternal covenant, the book of Hebrews, in my blood. My blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. Scripture says, the life is in the blood. Pray with me. If you pray this prayer in your heart, this is what you are professing out loud when you come to this table. You can just pray this silently in your heart. Lord Jesus, I surrender my life. And I thank you for yours. You are the judge. You are the savior. You are my creator. Make me in your image. And so come to the table, tear off a piece of bread, dip it in the cup. Dark cups of wine, light cups of juice. They're both the life and the love and the light of God. Amen. You're making me new. You're making us new. Close your eyes right where you are. Just close your eyes. You came to the table. You ingested an eternal seed. He's making you new. What are you so afraid of? Why are you so anxious? Why are you so driven? Perhaps you're haunted by a ghost. And so this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to Walgreens and buy some Epsom salts, right? Um, they're good for cramps. And, and then late tonight, when you're all stressed out and, and can't sleep, uh, late at night, in the dark, this is good for effect, turn on that bath, dump some of the Epsom salts in there, uh, sit in the bathtub in, in the dark, sweating bullets, and chase your fears. Chase your fears, chase your anxieties, follow your, your drivenness to figure out what it is that's haunting you. Because you see, you are being haunted by a ghost, and the ghost is yourself.
what Paul called the old man, the imposter, the illusion. You're being haunted by a ghost and the ghost is yourself and the ghost was created with a lie and the lie is this, you cannot die because you are the judge and you are the savior and you are the creator. Well, you find that ghost and you expose that ghost to the light, the light of Jesus the Christ. And in the bathtub, sweating bullets at three in the morning, you just say it, in the name of Jesus, I can die, I can die. For Jesus is the death of death. Scripture says that Satan has kept us in lifelong bondage through the fear of death. You see, he's lied to you. He's lied to me. He's told us that he is the end, but he's not the end. He's told you that he is the reaper. But check this out, Revelation 14. Before you take your hot bath tonight, you, you must read it. Um, and you'll find out that the reaper comes down from heaven. He is one like a son of man. And what he reaps is a harvest of wheat and grapes. He reaps bread and wine. He reaps his body and his bride. The reaper is Jesus. And he's not grim. He's your bridegroom. And so he will swing his sickle and say, Welcome home. And so in the name of Jesus, let's, let's destroy that old lie that that reaper is the evil one because he's not. The reaper is Jesus. And so with this postlude, the band's going to destroy that lie, okay? We're going to take that lie and we're going to turn it into, into gospel, all right? Um, and that is that we must not fear the reaper for the reaper is our bridegroom. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel and live free. Amen? Don't be the reaper, you're the wind, the sun, or the rain.